1: to the soul of enterprise business and the knowledge economy sponsored by sage building experiences that connect remove friction and deliver insights i'm ron baker along with my good friend and Verisage institute colleague ed Kless. and on today's show folks we are here live in miami florida at the creative business model from accountants ed you're really missing something not being here but i don't want to rub it in but uh, great dinner last night and just a great group of people very intellectually curious a lot of interesting exercises that we did to kind of free up the mind and move from that, you know, the whole right brain, to left brain type thinking. And, uh, it's, it's just been an absolute blast. So it's really cool to be here. And I want to thank Hector and Carlos and Hector's entire team, all the sponsors, digital anchor, all, everybody who put on this event and invited us here. It's just, it's just magical. And, uh, hopefully we'll get to do it again sometime. Um, if Hector will have me back. So, uh, but today, Ed, first off, I know you were in Reno and you delivered a talk. And and when you told me the title of your talk, I was like, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard you use that title before. So I thought you would just share with the audience what you spoke of. And as you're doing that, I'm going to share my screen and put up your Peter Block slide.
2: Okay, great. Or and hello
1: you when to do it.
2: Yeah, uh, hello to the audience there. Sorry I couldn't be there live with you today. Uh, trains, planes, and automobiles, it was a disaster. But let's get into the what I want to talk about. Yes, I was uh, had the privilege of being at the uh, Association of Women in Finance and Accounting yesterday in Reno, Nevada and my topic that i was sharing with them is a presentation that i've put together recently it's a conglomeration of a couple of different things that i've talked about over the years but the the, the title of the session is confessions of a meta consultant so let me quickly explain to you when i say meta consultant what i'm talking about I, i've had the privilege for the last 20 years in working for sage in working with our partner organizations. And I have a very broad definition of when I say partner organizations, I'm talking about the people who sell our software, the people who influence, in other words, our accountants folks, uh, as well as the ISVs who develop, and even just anyone who consults on our product. It still is covered under the umbrella for me of, of, of a partner. And I've been working with these folks on on, on making their businesses better. I have, uh, I, I have no transactional responsibility, which is a great gig, by the way, if you can ever get yourself in to like not being responsible for revenue highly recommend it um, but 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 as a result what I've been able to do is really help people make their businesses better and in effect I consult to people who do consulting and it occurred to me about 18 24 months ago that 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 I, what I'm doing is meta consulting. I'm consulting to people who do consulting. So I put together a a, 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 a presentation about some of these meta consulting ideas, these these ideas that kind of sit over the top, uh, regardless of the type of consulting that you're doing, doesn't even matter the profession, so to speak, but it's just a, a, a little bit different way of thinking. And I'm highly indebted, and Ron, you can put this the slide up now if you want to a a guy by the name of Peter Block. We've had Peter on the show twice before. Um, Highly recommend that you read any of Peter's books. His fourth edition of Flawless Consulting is now out. Um, It's on its way here. It will take uh, its place in my shelf next to the other three editions. Uh, So I I just love looking the way that this guy evolves his thinking. Uh, So that's that's number one. But in a book that he wrote in uh, 2000, Uh, called the answer to how is yes, which is a great title, great title, the answer to how is yes, his basic uh, principle in the book is that there are the, the ways that we ask questions in business are highly influential on the outcome. So this may sound familiar, I think you guys have been talking a lot about questions today, I had a chance to preview the material with Hector. So it's really good that we're getting a chance to talk about this. But Block says that in business, at any one time, we're only talking about six questions, most of the time, 90% of the time. How do you do it? How long will it take? How much does it cost? How do you get those people to change? How do you measure it? And how have other people done it successfully? And right? and of course, the you know, the, the the particulars change, the it, the the you, whoever these people are, but the nature of the conversation usually falls into one of these six meta questions that we're talking uh, about, not only inside our organizations, but externally with prospects and customers as well. And Block's position on this, I think, is fascinating. He says it's these questions, these how-based questions are not bad in and of themselves. They are just extraordinarily and often ill-timed in that they are asked, and this is the important part, and answered too early in the process. So these how questions are asked and answered too early in the process. And people who do consulting, who get asked these questions and then answer them are shooting themselves in the foot. Because what you're doing is you're these questions, and I love he, he calls them these how questions are, are natural defense mechanisms against change. So for example, if, if you are uh, sitting in a meeting and somebody says, well, I think we should do X, whatever X is, doesn't matter. If you don't wanna do X, you're gonna start to ask these how-based questions. Oh, yeah, how long is it gonna take? How much is it gonna cost? How are we gonna measure success, right? And you probably is taking yourself through this. is like, well, aren't those practical questions? Aren't those important? And the answer is yes, they are. But remember Block's point, they are ill-timed. We do want to eventually get to answering these practical questions, but not first at the expense of a- asking the more important what matters question or what he calls the yes questions. So hence the what matters, yes. So let me give you an example of this. And to me, the most dramatic is the last one, is how have others done it successfully? This is the reference question, right? This is what people, when, when they want to buy your product, did you have a reference? Right. How have others done this successfully? Have you have how have you worked with others successfully in this? And of course, what we do is we answer the question. We're like, here, well, that's not particular, they're not exactly in my niche market. You know, I'm really looking for a $17 million plastics manufacturer within a 75 mile radius of greater Cincinnati. And you're like, Well, you're the only one in that category. (laughs) Like, you know, so it's become self-referential. But but more importantly, picture if the Wright brothers had asked themselves this question on their way from Dayton, Ohio to Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, right? It's like, well, uh, Wilbur, um, how have others done this powered man flight thing successfully? Uh, well, overall, I did some research at the Dayton Library, and uh, you know, if there was this Icarus Daedalus Greek guy, wax wings, crash, not good, bad. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci, perhaps the greatest human mind ever to exist, designed no less than four flying machines, none of which get off the ground when they're built. They just kind of one of them, the heliocopter kind of hops up and down until it destroys itself on the launch pad. Oh, you're right, Wilbur. The hell with it. Let's just go back to the bicycle shop, right? So you see if we ask the question, what have others done successfully too early and we're trying to innovate, this question completely blocks and eliminates the possibility of innovation because by definition, the innovation hasn't been done successfully by others yet. So when we we allow these questions to get in our way and Block of course says, what you really wanna ask is what do we want to create together? What do we want to create as a group? And I'll, and we need to focus on that. And then we can get back to the how stuff later. But let's first really explore and experiment with what is it that we're trying to create? And Ron, I'll pause there because as you know, I can do an hour on this slide. I have done, I think in your presence, an hour on this slide. <laughs>
1: It's, an, it's amazing, These questions are, are like strategic blockers of new ideas or creativity. And you just throw them up because there's, no matter how you answer this question, and I remember this when we w- were trying to move firms from hourly billing to value pricing. Well, how long is it gonna take? How many other people have done it successfully? And we didn't have a lot of experience to point to. And yet these how questions, they became kind of like microaggressions to me. Every, anytime I heard a how question, it was like, okay, this is trouble because this person doesn't want to change because no matter how we answered those questions, Ed, they never accepted the answer. Just like you said about the Cincinnati thing. Oh, well, that's easy for them. They're west of the Mississippi, but we're east of the Mississippi. That's easy for them. They're a big firm. We're a small firm and vice versa. We heard every single objection and they always started with a how question. When I first met Ed, he sent we got on the call and his boss had told him to call me. And the first thing he said to me after Hello was, Ron, I read two books last year that changed my life. And he said, one was yours, Professional's Guide to Value Pricing. It's out of print, but it was my first book. And he said, and, and then I'm, I'm like, I got the pencil out going, okay, who the hell is this guy comparing me to? I didn't know him from Adam. He said, the second book I read that changed my life was Peter Block's The Answer to How" was Yes. This was the days before Amazon. I ran down to borders, bought the book. I think I read it in one or two sittings, Ed, and I called Ed and I said, this is the book I wish I would have written. This is a stunning book and it's, what, less than 200 pages. Yeah. Uh, Folks, you've got to read this book. And and, and what's the big takeaway, Ed, when they ask these how questions, what are they really afraid of? Death. Death. We're afraid of death when you boil it all down. This is such a profound point uh, that I won't say anymore. But Peter Block's got a new book called Confronting Our Freedom that dives into death. And I'm talking about in a corporate setting, folks, in a business setting. He's got a book about death. And it's fascinating how afraid we are of that that translates into other areas of operations.
2: Yeah, It's why we don't want to kill products or or projects inside organizations, because it reminds us of our own mortality. Ron, we've got about four minutes left, and I I just want to talk a little bit about the how long will it take question, because that's the one that I think is so often misinterpreted by professionals when they are being asked that, especially by a prospect, especially if heaven forbid you still build by the hour. I have heard professionals when asked the question, how long will this take respond in dollars? They'll go, um, how long is it gonna take? It's gonna take, it's a thousand dollars. They're like, what? Because they're doing, well, we're 250 an hour, it's gonna be four hours, uh, it's a thousand dollars. So I've heard them respond to a prospect. And what's so weird is that's not even the question the prospect is usually asking. They're not asking a pricing question. They're not asking an effort question. They're asking a question of duration. They're actually asking, when can I have it? How long is this gonna take you to get this to me? And it's it's interpreted as a, how long is this gonna take from and, and cost, but it's sort of like asking a question, so what are we gonna have for dinner tonight? And you respond blue. It's it's a non-sequitur. Like the dinner's gonna be blue, it's gets blue corn. No, nope, it's blue, right? It makes no sense. But here's the thing: when the, when we are sometimes asked this question, especially in an internal prospect inside your organization, the how long will it take question um is is interesting because think about this. If you say how long is this gonna take and you don't want it to happen, and somebody says, Well, it's gonna take us four months, you can argue either side of the four months. You can say, we don't have four months. We've got to do it far sooner than that. So and there's no way we. it's not going to work. Or in four months, there's no way we could get this done in four months. So see, you're being set up. By these questions. Now, please do not think that your customers and prospects are, are sitting around there like Mr. Burns and, and, you know, the, the Simpsons going, how can I block progress? Right. They're, they're not thinking that, but these are again, blocks uh, calls them, remember that phrase, natural defense mechanisms against change. This is how we as human beings. So we all do this. Ron and I and everyone, we use this practical nature of things to block progress when we want to stifle it. And I think that that's really the key insight here.
1: And Ed, I know we're probably up against it, but I, folks, when I look at these left-hand column questions, imagine Thomas Jefferson getting the framers of the constitution to come up and put their John Hancock on the Constitu- on the declaration of independence. And they ask him these questions. How do you do it, Tom? But nobody's ever done it. We don't know. Well, how long will it take? We have no idea. How much does it cost? Possibly your life. If you sign this document, you'll be a traitor to the government, and they could kill you. How do we get those other people to change? You mean the British? I have no idea. How do you measure it? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness? These are unmeasurable. And yet, they're our founding document. And then, how have others done it successfully? Nobody's ever done this. This is one of a kind. Sign here. In other words, it was what they were committed to doing, regardless of the costs, regardless of how long it was going to take, and all these how questions that Ed spoke of. And that's how I kind of think about and frame these how questions. So, Ed, we're on the break, right?
2: Yep, we're up against it. Want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to TSOE at verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. We'd love for you to go out and rate this podcast. And you do this pretty simply by going to ratethispodcast.com slash tsoe. Our first segment is sponsored by the fo- good folks at Boxkeeping Franchise. So let's hear from them and our other sponsors.
3: Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com TSOE and subscribe now.
2: Ron, we talk a lot about business opportunities. Well, now a great one has become our sponsor bookskeepingfranchise.com bookskeeping with an X
1: that's right Ed if you are interested in becoming part of the 4.2 billion dollar bookkeeping industry for a franchise fee at just under $20,000 visit www.bookskeepingfranchise.com
2: bookskeeping comes with full training plus marketing and technical support and even staffing visit the website or call 855-935-2669 franchise opportunity not available in all states
3: Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today.
0: You are tuned into the Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag #AskTSOE. Now back to the Soul of Enterprise.
1: Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here live in Miami at the Creative Business Model for Accountants. At least one man had the vision to put this all together. Hector Garcia. Thank you, Hector. This has been amazing. Hector's been on our show before. And if you want to go back and listen to a really fun episode, we did the exercise that you guys did this morning, and we did it with a blender. And it was the most amazing thing. Uh, it, It was just really fun. But Hector, I'll let Ed start. Ed, um, you can go ahead and ask Hector anything you want about this event.
2: Well, so the easy question that I can ask because I'm not there is how's it going? What, what, what What's what's happening, Hector?
4: So first of all, uh, Ed, how you doing, Ed? So sad you couldn't make it, but I love the fact that we could do this via Zoom. What are what a, what a, what, what a good times that we're living in where we could do this live, right? Via Zoom is incredible. So first of all, the energy here is amazing. Everybody here wants to share ideas. Everybody here wants to chat with each other. A few people came to me and said, Hector, I normally would never do this. I normally would be afraid of doing this. But something about the conference, the people, the environment, the setting made me totally comfortable. And getting creative as an accountant, it's it's an uncomfortable thing. So if we get you... To comfortably think in abstract and try to be creative and share ideas with each other that maybe don't have any meaning to our practice now, but they create a foundation to think about changes perpetually in the future, I think, I think it's going well.
2: That's great to hear. Well, you know, it, it's it's natural. I've always said this. It's natural for for uh, accountants to be wary when we hear creative accounting that often can land one in jail. So <laughs> we have to. <laughs> but I think you know you've clarified it with it. It's creative business models for accountants, and uh, I'm I'm just curious. Have you have you seen that the, the thinking begin to in, in, uh, evolve around the notion of business models today?
4: Yeah, I mean, people are thinking about uh, subscriptions. People are thinking about that when you subscribe to something versus when you buy something. You have to add add your values, add your value, added value services to it. Uh, in some examples, people were thinking of the light version of a product, the plus version of a product. And one of the really cool things is we got people to brainstorm with ChatGPT at the same time that they were brainstorming with each other, proving to us that AI won't replace us. AI is just another partner that we can brainstorm with. It enhances us. So it, that's been really cool.
1: Yeah. We had the whole discussion Ed, about how I love your line about AI. It's not artificial and it's not intelligent and it's not going to replace humans because it doesn't have a soul. It's not sentient. doesn't have a conscience, all of that brought up Rabbi Lappin. you know, work is worship, that type of thing. So yeah, it's been a heck of a day. Um, and of course, we got to hear a little bit from Chris Doe. I know he's going to be on tomorrow more, and that's going to be a lot of fun as well. So,
4: Yeah, that was a surprising part is that Chris Doe's role wasn't to give feedback as an audience member, but uh, we started mentioning brand and marketing, and he was like jumping at the bit to like say something. He's like, you know, <laughs> I'm the brand and marketing guy. Let, let me give you some feedback because I studied this really well. And Chris jumped in and he just gave us this incredible nuggets of information that you only get from a seasoned, creative, marketing, branding professional. And uh, and, and I think a lot of accountants don't think about branding as a really important element of this. And in my, in my talk, in the chat GPT talk and the keynote, I talked about the importance of not just branding for our firms, but branding for our profession and branding for the art of the work that we do and, and as, a, as a greater meta thing, branding for what is what does being human in a profession mean? What should it feel like? when our customers go out there and shop for uh, services and they're starting to see the software version of alter- of alternatives, uh, the software version of our services and they start seeing the AI version of our services and we start this you know feeling the sense of despair that, we can't compete with AI. I mean, the speed in which it comes up with information and it almost feels like it's creative. Like, like even AI is being creative, but actually AI is not being creative. The creative person is the one asking the question. So I think one of the really important things that, that we're all learning here is that the art of asking the right questions, going back to the Peter Block conversation, the art of asking the right question is an art form that it's gonna come back. And uh, and I think that any professional accountant, attorney, whatever, when they ask the right question, they might get a better answer, not the right answer. I don't think there's such a thing as the right answer. There's just better answers or answers that that get you closer and closer to what you wanted to the information you wanted to get from the person that you're asking. One
2: one of the things that I've I've seen uh, Hector on this is is it's almost a little bit like learning a new language. In in that we we have been taught for so long, especially those of us who are in the professions, to think in answers, to think in responses to questions, to come up with the, come up with the solution. The solutionist mentality, as Khalsa calls it, is that we 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 switch over at a certain point, and once we begin to think in questions it changes the way that we perceive the world and interact with it. So we, and, and I would strongly encourage those of you who are participating in the exercises today is that you're? this is gonna take some time for you. It's not, you know, hey, you show up at the one conference and immediately all right, start to think in questions. It takes some time. It took me, I don't know, I, I actually consciously made a decision to try to do this. And it was probably a t- two, maybe even a three year period that I was able to retrain my brain to rethink in terms of questions rather than be a, a solution provider. Um, and the, the 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 sentence that really made it whole in my mind was the off quoted line from Peter Drucker, where he he said that the one of the biggest keys to his success in his career was replacing advice with curiosity. And I think that that's, to, if you can, the more curious you can be about your business and those businesses that you serve, the 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 better off that's going to be for you and your entire organization and you you as a person.
1: And, you know, Hector, the profession has been talking about moving to advisory for ever since I've been in it. It's nothing new, right? And I've got this theory that one of the reasons why we haven't seen as much progress as we probably should with CPAs moving to more advisory is because as a CPA, we're an expert, you ask a t- tax question, a gap question. We feel really good the faster we can spit out the answer. If we don't know it, we'll go look it up and get back to you. But a consultant is not paid for the answer. The consultant is paid for the question. Half Socrates, half the wisdom is in the question. Think about McKinsey. They have a bunch of 20-year-old snot-nosed MBAs going into these, you know, well-established businesses. They don't have the answers. They don't know how to run a business better than the family that's been running it for generations. But what they have are excellent questions or what Ed and I call a more beautiful question, which is a a great book, by the way. More, isn't that the title, Ed? A More Beautiful Question? Yes. By, by Warren by, Berger.
2: Yeah. Not the Supreme Court, justice. Supreme a different Court guy. Judge.
1: We've interviewed <laughs> him on the show. He's terrific. Great book. Uh, if you want to dive into questions, Ed, I'm, I'm assuming we're close to it.
2: Well, oh, we got about three minutes left,
1: Ron. Okay, I,
4: I wanna, I wanna um, go back to a previous conversation, Ed. You remember during the pandemic where I said, um, Ed, I wanna ask you a question about, you know, this, 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 uh, this difficult times that we're going through. We're talking about April, May. Everybody's locked in at the house. Uh, people are very anxious. Accountants are very anxious. And we talked about the 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 toilet paper problem, right? Right, where, um, where people were looking at the at the, at the issue wrongly, right? They were, they were freaking out because they can't buy toilet paper. And Ed said, there are alternatives. We're not used to using those alternatives, but there are alternatives. So the reason why we came up with toilet paper shortage was because maybe we weren't asking the right questions or all, all the shortages for that matter. But then we were having that conversation and then you talked about, Something about the question that will set you free, or something like that. And and uh, you want to go? You remember that conversation? I, I, yeah. I don't want to butcher it, but go ahead.
2: The, well, this this is this is uh, one of the the ends of, of Peter Block's work. Uh, it is it, and it's it is from the the uh, the answer to how is yes, but he talks about the the what he calls the 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 Mohawk, the mother of all questions, <laughs> uh, and the mother of all questions, as he as he phrases it, is what is the question that if you had the answer would make you free? What is the question that if you had the answer would make you free? And, what I've done is, is sometimes like narrow that down a little bit more so it, because I what I love it's a meta question right it's a question about questions it's a it's, it's like asking a question about, to come up with other questions, so what is the question that if you had the answer would enable you to move to subscription. What is the question that if you had the answer would enable you to 3x 10x your practice. So. Instead of saying would make you free, put it put in the thing that you think is blocking you right now. What is the question that if you had the answer about that question would allow you to do whatever it is that you're trying to get done?
1: That's a profound question, by the way, and it's a real mind bender. Um, One of our favorite quotes is by this guy named Eric Hoffer. He's a he was a longshoreman in San Francisco, self-taught philosopher, wrote many books in the 50s and 60s. What's his line, Ed? language was invented to ask questions answers can be given by grunts you know and facial expressions but to ask a question that's what that's when humanity started and the failure to ask questions results in a you know devaluation of, of social
2: humanity. stagnation he <laughs> says it's social stagnation is comes from not for, not from our inability to answer questions but from our inability to ask new and better questions about the situation that we're in and man doesn't that summarize a lot with the world right now <laughs> yeah, <it laughs> because does. if you keep I- asking the same question over and over and over again Mm. But we are up against our break, Ron, so we'll have to pick this up on the other side. We want to remind those listening that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to tsoe at verisage.com. Website, again, is The Soul of Enterprise. Show notes, previews to upcoming shows. We also have a Patreon channel where you can subscribe and listen to the, co- the, the show commercial free, as well as our bonus episodes that we do each week. Find that at patreon.com slash tsoe. That Patreon channel is sponsored by 90 Minds. Find a mind at 90minds.com. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Enjoying
3: our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. commercials plus bonus content go to patreon.com/tsoe subscribe now and
5: be free you're worth it streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We're live here in Miami, Florida at the Creative uh, Business Model for Accountants program put on by Hector Garcia. Thank you, Hector. This has been a heck of a two days, but uh, we're, we're going to open it up to the audience for questions. So anything's fair game, folks. Book book recommendations, subscription model, value pricing, hourly billing. I'm getting, getting a lot of questions about getting rid of the timesheet. How do you do this? How do you do that? Does that trigger you now, <laughs> right, when you hear the how-to, how-to? But you hear it, and you've got to deal with those questions. But I think we have a question over here. Yeah, th- thanks for handing the mic over.
3: Ed, you talked about you went on a two or three-year journey to ask the more
1: beautiful question. I'd love to hear what did that process look like in that first year? And then what was a stumbling block that you had to overcome as we all go on
2: that journey together? Well, thanks. It was The first year was very frustrating. <laughs> Uh, because because you 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 constantly fall off the the wagon. You're you're, you're constantly going back to thinking as a solutionist, and it, it really is a, a, a the, the other guy that's influenced me in addition to Peter Block is a guy by the name Mahan Kalsa, um, and and he wrote a book called Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. Um, and in in that book, he sets up a framework around questions of, of what we call the value conversation. How do we have a conversation with a prospect about getting to value? But the thing that he first starts off with is this very simple thing called moving off the solution. Is what we, we have to do is we have to train ourselves or educate ourselves to stop giving away the solution. And the reason we give away the solution is because it makes us feel really good to be smart. So, when when somebody asks us a question that we know the answer to, our immediate reaction is to answer the question and say, oh, see, see how smart we are? We, uh, uh, here's how you do it. Boom, 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 right? See, now you want to hire me, right? Because I'm so smart. The problem is, is that if we don't get an understanding of what the value of the problem is to the person. then First of all, we've just given it away. I mean, and, and part of this was the mentality uh, that I was brought up in the IT profession, trying to be a solution provider. That was the name that was used in the industry. You're a solution provider. You give solutions. And what I what I had to learn is to move off the solutions. Let me tell you a quick story. This is where I, where where it clicked with me. So I was uh, doing a demo back in the mid 1990s of an accounting solution. And back in the 1990s, a, a demo was an all-day affair. I mean, it was it was really a prospect training session, is what it was. We, we kept showing you features until you finally said, "Oh, we like that," or "Will you please shut up? I will buy from you." I mean, that was really the strategy. <laughs> um, so, so we're out there, and I'm showing them, you know, how to do a. a accounts payable check. And and the guy, and this is in Northern New Jersey, he's like Ed Koch. He said, stop, stop. He said, Ed, this is an accounting system. I figured it could produce an accounts payable check. Here's what I need. I need a report that's going to show my inventory turns by item category. Can your system do that? And I went through the search mechanism of my brain, probably Alta Vista at the time, Google wasn't around yet. And, you know, I'm kind of flowing this through and I'm like, okay, it, we don't have a report that does that, but I could write one. Anybody remember Crystal Reports? Somebody old enough to remember Crystal Reports? Okay. So I'm so I'm bringing up Crystal Reports and I'm right out or joining the tables and I'm making it red, white, and blue because it's near Independence Day. And, you know, it's like, it's like boom, here's the answer. It takes me about, I don't know, three or four minutes to write this report. And the guy says, great. We get this deal was sixty thousand dollar deal, thirty thousand in software, thirty thousand in consulting. We were building by the hour at the time. And that's what we were we we were figured. So six months later, I'm on site with this guy and he throws his arm around me. His name is Evan and he says, Ed, remember that report that you gave us? I'm like, what are you talking about, Evan? Report that that you won the, the inventory report that I had to give it to him because I did it during the demo. I couldn't even put it on the timesheet. And so I was like already too late. So he said, Ed, we've been able to figure out that because we have this information, we're gonna be able to increase our sales this year by 40%. They were roughly a $10 million company on a run rate to do 14 because they had this better information from their inventory system. And I'm thinking, this guy's gonna get like $4 million in additional revenue and I got zero. I'm not a genius, I'm an idiot. Like, (laughs) because I gave it away. So what I should have done was what Mahan Khalsa calls moving off the solution. And it's a very simple, like I'll call it a four step process because step number one is listen. But step number two is assuage. This is where you say something over to them like, um, so say, say the guy, the someone says, I need the inventory report. Okay. Here's what I should have said to Evan. Thanks for asking, Evan. We do customized reports all the time. That's step one, assuage, move. However, there's lots of different ways that you can get the information out of this system, which is was, was true, so that's the move. And then here's the close, which is a close probe question. This is where it gets back to questions. I'm, ask, I wanna, I'm gonna ask a question that is designed to solicit a yes or no answer. This is not the close the sale, this is close probe questions. So would it be okay if we talked about what the results might be if you had access to that information? Let me take you through that in one big flow. Evan says, I need a report that shows inventory turns by item category, can you do this? My response, thanks for asking. We do that kind of report all the time. However, there's different ways of getting that information out of the system. Would it be okay if we talked about what the results might be if you had access to a report like that? What are 99 out of 100 people going to say to that? Sure. And now I can pivot and talk about the problem and get an understanding of what the potential value of the problem is to him, not deliver my solution. So that very simple skill of pivoting, of moving off the solution. And I have to tell you, it did take me two plus years to be able to do that. And to this day, I still struggle with it. There are still times in my consulting career when I'm absolutely tempted whenever I'm asked a question to just give the answer it, it's it's the immediate response so um i like to, to say that i'm a i'm a recovering solutionist right so hi my name is ed and i'm a recovering solutionist ronda they all say hi ed they're all supposed to say hi Ed, because this is a, well, i'm trying to turn this into a, i've turned this into a meeting now
1: <laughs> and, and more costly than a heroin addict right? no I kidding mean- right <laughs> wow um did that help awesome all right we have a question in the middle here cool
4: would you mind talking about the talent crisis in the accounting profession how did we get here what needs to happen in your opinion
1: great question ed you want to take that no 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 you start i No, you start okay um i talked a little bit about this this morning but i i think um you know, we we all become CPAs or accountants or go into this profession to help people. And then we get into the firm and we're moving from one project phonetically, you know, from one to the other, just with no breaks, no time to think, no, you know, no reflection on our work, what went right, what went wrong, how could we do it better? Because we're either in a billable hour environment that's incredibly stressful because if you, it bifurcates your life, if you're not billable, the firm wants you to feel guilty about it. Right. If you're out with your kid or at a baseball game. And so I think we, we get in these young kids and they're like, this is isn't why I went to five years of college. So I think the 150 hour rule's gotta go. I've always been against that. I have no idea why we started it, at least for CPAs. And I, I think it's a business model problem. And I think that's why this course and what Hector's put together here is so valuable because like I said this morning, if I, if I change the light bulbs in your house and 50% of them burnt out, I, I couldn't look at any one individual bulb and go, oh, well, you have mental health problems. You're an alcoholic or you've got stress in your life or whatever. No, it's like I've got a faulty electrical grid and the faulty electrical grid is the business model. I think the billable hour is terrible. I think timesheets, the only place time spent should, uh, should mean anything is in prison. I don't think you take really smart knowledge workers who went through five years of college, passed a very difficult exam, and then make them track every six minutes out of their day like they were kindergartners. And I'm telling you, folks, I I don't see that changing. I really don't. The the big firms, one was across the way there. They're not going to change that model until they're on a burning platform. And I think this talent crisis, 300,000 leaving the profession and not you know for every one retiring we're not we're not replacing them with one right so the funnel is is just going down and i i think it's going to it's going to force firms to really reevaluate how they run their business and what their business model is and just to make one more point i'm really frustrated by this we've been banging both ed and i have been banging our spoons on our high chair for over 20 years about the stupidity of billing by the hour and the stupidity of making really smart people track every six minutes of their their day. And yet it took AI and ChatGPT for some firm owners to start finally seeing the light. We can't charge this by the hour. It's too damn fast. So it's okay to run the experiment on the rats that we call humans. But once ChatGPT comes into the picture, now we're starting to reevaluate the model is this backwards to anybody? Because it's backwards to me. The model sucks since I entered the profession and, and decades before that. And so I think that's the problem. Now, there's more to it. Obviously, there's an image problem. I spend a lot of time going into high schools, talking to high school kids. They seem to think that all accountants do is sit in the back room with an adding machine and a an advisor. They have no idea that we're all psychiatrists. We're all financial psychiatrists. We should all have couches in our office. We deal with human drama every day. We help people through crisis, we you know, solve their problems, but we also can help them pursue their possibilities. And I know, Ed, we're probably up against it, but I'll just say one more thing to Ed's solutionism. Folks, we're great problem solvers as a profession. We really are, we take the IRS off your back, we clean up your books, we're great at that. However, if all we do for our customers is solve their problems, we just revert them back to the status quo. We're not advancing them. Transformations allow you to advance people to a new place. That's what's so powerful about them. And that's why I'm so excited about what subscription allows us to do. It gets us back to our roots of why we entered the profession.
2: Yeah. And before I, I go into the, the break spiel, everybody, I'm going to give everybody an assignment. And that is to, to, when you get back to your room tonight, uh, go to YouTube and search up, as the kids say search up, uh, search, search up a song by a country music artist named Jamie Johnson called The Dollar. If you don't watch this song and begin weeping uncontrollably and go and want to go tear up your timesheet after watching this song, I don't know what else to tell you. I don't know what else to tell you. So, but we're up against our last break, uh, the soul of enterprise, uh, dot com. show notes, upcoming shows. The email is ask, t-s-o-e, at varisage.com. Uh, This third segment is sponsored by my employer, Sage. So let's hear from them and our other sponsors.
3: A little birdie told me Voice
2: America is on
3: X. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the diamond water paradox. Go to Patreon.com/tsoe and subscribe today, please. For the love of God, make it stop!
5: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We're here live in Miami, Florida at the Creative Business Model for Accountants put on by Hector Garcia. Thank you, Hector and Hector's entire team. I don't want to leave anybody out, but um, so... Do we have another question, Hector, or do you want to take on the talent crisis?
4: Uh, let me answer the talent crisis ca- okay. uh, first. So I don't know what the solution is, but what I'm doing is I'm trying to make accounting look cool. Um, and I know that sounds silly and insignificant, but the, the big challenge that we have, uh, as you say, the kids of today think accounting is a bunch of number crunching. And yeah, there is number crunching, but people need to see, they need to, they need to see this the, the the enigma that we are, right? The, this the, the, We, during the COVID crisis, we were the financial first responders. And I think people need to see us as what the possibilities are that an accountant can do for you. Not just what the accountant is doing for you now, because unfortunately, accounting is this boring thing. When you go to a networking event, that's not other accountants. And you meet someone and they ask you, what do you do? And you say accountant, you can see it in their face immediately. They're like, "Oh God, this is going to be a very long conversation." Let's say you have a tax question, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and follow up with the tax question. So I think uh, the the, uh, the branding element of 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 what a, what an accountant is not just the fact that we do solutions, but the fact that it's it's a cool profession. It is a cool profession to be on. Okay, the the problem is, you know, maybe the movies or maybe the media or whatever portrays us as, as these boring people. And sometimes accountants are like the butt of the joke. They're 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 the illustration of a boring person. So I think we got to get on YouTube. We have to get on social media. We have to make fun of ourselves. We have somebody here in the in the in the group that's a TikToker and uh, he makes fun of himself all the time and makes fun of how customers you know think about taxes. And he he uses this fun element, right? The, and, and and I'm sure your younger is is. I mean, your audience is younger and younger and younger, and people that are uh, listening to Duke in TikTok, they're gonna want to be an accountant, right? Because they look at you and they're like, "Hey, I could I could be a, I could I I could put on a show. I can act and I can teach people in a fun way. So that's what I'm doing anyway. I, I don't know how to solve the problem, but that's my part. And I like to invite people to sort of do your own version of that.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love the point about you bringing humor back into the profession. Sure, take our work seriously, but don't take ourselves seriously. You know, I think it was George Orwell who said each each joke is a tiny revolution that rusts out the the, the status quo. And when I see guys like like Greg Kite, you know, poking fun at at the profession and the AICPA and all of that, anything's fair game with him. I love that. Because if we can't laugh at ourselves, then what are we doing here? We're taking ourselves way too seriously. So that, yeah,
4: I think and isn't it. there a saying that says laughter is a confession?
1: Yes, laughter, laughter is a confession for sure. All
4: right, so we probably have time for one more question, or maybe two. if We can squeeze it in. Okay. We have uh... Hector. I
5: don't know know about you, but uh, I met my wife by saying I was an accountant. So, <laughs> so uh, first time firm owner here. Uh, I've never done a tax return. I've never uh, reconciled the balance sheet. I've owned a consulting practice. My friends and I found it very difficult to find a good accountant. So I said, you know what? I'm going to build a firm. We interviewed 100 uh, business owners, asked them what they wanted, and built that firm. Wow! So a 1,000% committed on a subscription model. I have zero commitment or care to how this industry has operated up to this point. Um, My question is, I'm hundred percent committed to subscription model. Many people here are in the process of, you know, they're bought in, but it it sounds beautiful. It is beautiful, but what are some of the obstacles or um, pitfalls that we're going to stumble into as we first start to get this going? And then if we have time, I'd love to know what are the opportunities to add premium on? Like as a business owner, I'm thinking, I want, I want to, I want more from you because you're going to love me. I want more and so if you can answer those that would be amazing
1: yeah i I think mindset is is a big thing just to overcome just the, the the fact that the kpis that we look at and the accounting income statement itself is different in subscription you're starting with beginning arr annual recurring revenue backing out churn and then ending with arr the bottom line is ending arr it's not profit in fact your profit could be zero meaning you're plowing everything back into your business and as Teen zo says as long as the bucket's not leaking as long as you're not losing customers you're building your lifetime value this is how salesforce had an unbelievable pe ratio in the early days they had no profit they were they were plowing it all back into customer growth so the challenges i think are our mindset and thinking that your pricing has to be perfect right out of the gate it doesn't it's a changing thing you can change it at any time and you just grandfather all the existing customers into different cohorts, and that's something I'm sure that Anchor or other companies can help you with, You know, tracking those different cohorts, but you can always fiddle around with your pricing, and we love the idea of constantly plussing what Walt Disney calls plussing, plussing the park experience so the guests are delighted, you surprise them with something they haven't seen before so they want to come back, and that has to be constant, and when you plus. You can move. You can move into a. High, you can move those offerings into a higher tier and say now you're covered for this, and then as you continue to plus, those offerings start to slide down even to the basic offering. So you're kind of plussing across the board, but it's a continuous process. And so those are some of the obstacles. I, I think it's more of a mindset. You got to. You got to remember that this model has a different revenue model. It's got a different profit formula. It's not looking at the math of the moment. It's looking at building customer lifetime value. You have to take that long term. It's kind of like the difference between dating and being married. You, you know you're gonna, there's going to be a lot of give and take in a, in a healthy relationship, and you're just going to make those investments because you're not looking at the math of the moment. And I think for us who were brought up in the transactional world, that's really difficult. So, Ed, do you have anything to add to
2: that? Yeah, quickly, I've only got a bit, about a minute left. As with any adult learning, the, the key to learning it, for adults is forgetting what you thought you knew. That, I mean, I, I hate to be a, that, that, but that's absolutely true. Um, with regard to plussing, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going through this right now, so here's an example, especially for those of you who do have tax practices out there. Um, I've got a 17-year-old son. Why didn't my accountant come to me and say, we'll be able to fill out that FISA, that financial student application form for you? You got all my numbers. You know my kid's seventeen. You know it's likely that he's going to college. <laughs> why, did, why didn't you step in and say and offer that as a plus solution? All right, Ron, we got to wrap things up though. So that's just just one example that's, of.
1: That's because I have too many clients, Ed. Yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: All right. All right. So what, what's on store for next week, Ed?
2: Next week, Ron, we're going to do part two of our conversation about Mark Andreessen's The Techno Optimists Manifesto.
1: Awesome. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at noon Pacific time. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com for more information on each show, links to the papers and books we talked about, and other resources. Also, if you want to contact Ed or myself, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend you yeah.